0: New York City. Forget the things you've heard about the place. About the new New York. Hell's Kitchen is called Clinton. Park full of tourists. But it's not real. The old New York is waiting just below the surface. There's nothing to help you when the darkness falls. You're laid open so the world can rummage in your guts. Just because the mayor chased away the monsters, chased them to Brooklyn and the Bronx, don't think this place has changed. Not in its heart. Not where it lives. Do not fall in New York City. No one's going to catch you.
1: Welcome to the sixth issue of Comics on Consoles, a podcast that dedicates itself entirely to the exploitations of comics-based characters in the medium of video games every single month. I'm proud to announce that we're in the process of joining the Pod Tyrant Podcast Network, that we're brought to you in part by GeeksGamers.com, and that we're going to spend the next bit of time today attempting to justify the murderous actions of a cold-blooded killer to you. Wait, wait. What? That actually might be the attitude of some fans concerning this month's subject character, none other than Frank Castle himself, the man known in the pages of the Marvel Comics universe as the Punisher. First appearing in issue number 129 of the Amazing Spider-Man in 1974, the scowl-faced creation from writer Jerry Conway and artist John Romita Sr. is pretty unique in the pantheon of superhero characters because of his status as an anti-hero. In fact, reading that very first appearance for the character even implants the idea in readers' heads pretty quickly that the Punisher has his name for a few different reasons, some of which include A, he doesn't exactly dislike the act of murder, and B, he also makes an effort to kill only those who, quote, deserve it. By today's standards, the earliest Punisher stories are decidedly tame. Frank would go on to be featured in his own miniseries in late 1985 and would also be given his own ongoing in the early 90s to be written by Chuck Dixon, who at one point divided his time between very heavy involvement in all things Gotham City at Marvel's direct competition, while also giving life to Frank's stories for a good long while in Punisher Warzone. By 1995, though, the Punisher character suffered a pretty major decline, and by the end of that year, all of his series were cancelled. Then, by my estimation, one of comic's greatest writers, who has a certain penchant for hard-edged, brutal, sometimes sadistic, and darkly humorous stories, took on the task of reviving Frank in the early 2000s. That man was none other than Garth Ennis. In the years since, Ennis has made a major name for himself with a lot of original creations, The Boys, a series about part-time superhero hunters that proved too risqué for DC imprint Wildstorm, was a massively popular adults-only series, and he also had a career-making run on Hellblazer for Vertigo, which helped cement Ennis' reputation as a gritty, sometimes crazy, but always entertaining storyteller. In short... Ennis and the incomparable work of artist Steve Dillon helped to both revitalize and redefine the Punisher for an entirely new generation of fans and creative teams. His initial work with the character in the more adults-oriented Marvel Knights imprint, which still took place in the Marvel Universe, albeit in its darkest corners, is today looked upon as one of the single most defining Punisher runs ever written. If you try to find the omnibus collecting all of Ennis' Marvel Knights' work on the character, you'll be paying a very pretty penny since it's both highly sought after and, kind of stupidly, out of print. That work would lead to Ennis launching a new ongoing series for the Punisher in Marvel's Max imprint. Unlike Marvel Knights, there was absolutely no ambiguity. Max was adults-only, with more violence, sex, nudity, and language than even the hardest of R-rated films. His series was most decidedly outside the regular Marvel Universe, giving Ennis and his artistic collaborators a freer canvas on which to play with the Punisher, unbound by the content restrictions that normally contain most regular Marvel Comics releases. I can tell you from pretty direct experience, Having read about 90% of Ennis' total work with The Punisher, the books are all at varying degrees of good, and at their best, are some of the absolutely most stirring comic book reading experiences I've ever had. While sometimes they can get pretty zany, why did Ennis give the Russian boobs that time again? At their best, they're shining examples of the effectiveness of the comic book medium as a vehicle for perpetuating thought-provoking ideas, and for my taste, that's personified in a story written by Annis called Do Not Fall in New York City. But wait a second, I'm a Superman fan. I'm a firm believer in the idea of comic book characters not going out and killing their enemies. How can I possibly reconcile that idea with an enjoyment for stories featuring a fringe psychopath who takes joy in killing them as slowly and painfully as is possible in the worst cases? I admit that having this taste can be a little uneven, and that was certainly a major thought that I had going into the first time I sat down, and reasoned that I would actually give The Punisher a try. You see, I started with Garth Ennis' work, specifically in the first issue of the 2000 miniseries that's now called Welcome Back, Frank. I read that issue, cringing in places, and by the time I got to the last page, I was entertained but also weirdly conflicted. Can I really enjoy this series and this character without being a total hypocrite? Then, I turned the page, and there was a letter there, written by none other than Garth Ennis. Since I had an extremely difficult time finding any traces of this letter online, even in the digital copy of this issue that sold via comiXology, I think that it would be a good idea for me to present it to you in its entirety. Why? Because in this letter, Garth Ennis himself seemed to address all of the concerns that I had before I opened the cover, and had put them all completely to rest by the time I placed it back in its bag and board. So, I opened up the closet in my apartment, looked at the mountain of dozens of long boxes hiding behind a pair of coats, and dug through until I found my copy of the year 2000's Punisher No. 1, which is what I'll be reading from. I can't guarantee that Garth Ennis' words will affect you as much as they did me, but I definitely think they're worth hearing. The letter is titled, In Defense of the Punisher, and this is how it reads. You've gotta be kidding. Defend the Punisher? Justify what Frank Castle does to people? condone the actions of a mass murderer whose body count must run well into the tens of thousands by now? I think not. Yes, I know these are more sensitive times than the 70s when the likes of Dirty Harry, Death Wish, and Big Frank himself were let loose on the public psyche. I'm well aware we have to be more aware of the consequences of our actions. No one knows better than I do that everything must be viewed in its appropriate socio-political context. I can see why Frank's little hobby might be viewed as requiring some kind of justification, but only by morons. When you're watching Itchy tying Scratchy's tongue, or is it the other way around, to a rocket and shooting his innards into space, do you care about the alleged effects of depicting excess cruelty to a mass audience? When you see Chow Yun-Fat and Danny Lee blow away an army of dirtbags at the conclusion, or at just about any point, of the killer... Do you give a damn about the tragic and deprived lives that led that army down the path to dirtbaggery? And when Clint blasts a hole the size of a train tunnel through the psycho and the glorious final moments of Dirty Harry, are you tormented, even as a shower of awful fills the screen, by the plight of the mentally ill in today's too-fast-to-care society? No, of course not. You're too busy laughing, or gasping, or sitting in dumbstruck silence, or saying, hey, that was cool. Or maybe just going, whoa. And you know why? Because it isn't real. Because you're being entertained. That's what I'm going for with this series, folks. Entertainment, plain and simple. Not a complex analysis of the causes of crime. Not a portrait of one man's tragic descent into murderous psychosis. Not an in depth examination of the vigilante down the ages. Not the recipe for Coca Cola either, come to that. Just a laugh a thrill, and plenty of sustained automatic weapons fire for your buck. To that end, watch out for Frank's imaginative use of a flamethrower in issue three. The issue after that, check out the awful thing that happens to Ma Nucci during our hero's carnage-filled trip to Central Park Zoo, which is actually a very nice place to visit, and if you're in the New York area, I encourage you to do so. And later in our year of bloody merriment, see what the holy gets up to in the confessional. Elite's quest to sanitize the Upper East Side, what Mr. Paycheck thinks of yuppies, Frank's neatest bit of on-the-spot improvisation ever, round about issue 11, and most of all, waiting in the wings like a tiger tank built from bits of meat, the last man you ever want to meet in prison, the horror the world shall come to know as the Russian. I had an absolute blast writing Big Frank's adventures, and I hope you'll enjoy reading the results just as much. With my good friend Steve Dillon's unsurpassed storytelling, ably assisted by Jimmy, not the face, not the face, Palmiotti, you can at least be sure the book will look good. And while I'm praising people, let me express my gratitude to Joe Quesada, who shares with his buddy Jimmy the dubious honor of getting Steve and me to do The Punisher, and Nancy DeKeesian, who kills herself behind the scenes and does all the real work. So, join us for more Mayhem Next Issue, when Frank does a number of terrible but oddly innovative things to people, and a certain weirdness starts to creep in around the edges. Just remember that it's all in good fun, except the bits that aren't, and that you don't have to worry about a thing. You can enjoy the Punisher with a completely clear conscience. Isn't that a relief? Garth Ennis, Belfast, January 2000. It was kind of amazing, but with that single letters page, Garth Ennis basically, and forgive my crudeness, pulled the stick out of my ass and allowed me to enjoy what he had to say with the Punisher for the rest of that specific series. That same sense of weird liberation accompanied me whenever I would open a Punisher story by him or any other writer, watched a Punisher movie, or, most recently, when I watched the second season of Daredevil on Netflix. Look, if this man existed, I certainly wouldn't condone his actions, and would cheer on authorities to put him behind bars. When it comes to enjoying these stories, though, it's okay, and Garth Ennis himself helped me to realize that. I guess one of the things that's always been attractive to me about The Punisher is just how absolute he is. Even more than a character like Batman, who basically writes off anyone who commits murder for virtually any reason, The Punisher is an animal with a clear distinction of who's deserving and who's not. His massive level of skill makes him one of the worst enemies some poor wise guy who inhabits the Marvel Universe could ever make because he tends to pursue his targets with the fervor and relentlessness that some people normally ascribe to the waiting judgment of a higher power. If he really wants to, the Punisher is going to kill you. It's just a matter of how, where, and when. Now, while Ennis and Dylan were busy creating some truly memorable comic books in the early 2000s, The Punisher was getting ready to come back to the silver screen in the form of the 2004 film directed by Jonathan Hensley and starring Thomas Jane and John Travolta. In 1989, The Punisher had made it to the screen before in a film starring a guy who likely could have made a pretty good Frank Castle, Dolph Lundgren. Unfortunately, that film was so unimpressive in virtually every respect that it maintains a legacy as a simple and unremarkable action film. The people making it didn't even care to give Frank his most distinguishing visual cue, since Lundgren's Frank Castle goes through the entire thing, wearing a leather biker jacket and a simple t-shirt. No skull is to be found. If you really wanted to subject yourself to watching it, it's not hard to find. I don't condone piracy, of course, but you can watch the entire movie for free, in high definition, On YouTube, one of the easiest online outlets to have copyrighted material taken down, isn't even seeing the rights holders bother with it. The 2004 film was a culmination of efforts that began as far back as 1997 in bringing Frank Castle back to the screen. Obviously, by 2002, the landscape of comics-based cinema was completely changed by the massive success enjoyed by 20th Century Fox's original X-Men film, and Sony Pictures' massive juggernaut, Spider-Man. In April of that year, screenwriter Jonathan Hensley signed on to both write the new film as well as to make his directorial debut with it. A primary inspiration for him was the gritty films of the 1970s, not dissimilar from the ones mentioned by Garth Ennis in his letters page. When actor Thomas Jane was cast in the role of Frank Castle, immediate fan reaction was mixed. He didn't exactly look like the thick-necked, slick-back-hair version from the comics we became accustomed to seeing for the last several years. Still, the casting of Jane in the part would prove to be the most pivotal addition the film would make to the legacy of The Punisher, an impact which would outlast even the next theatrical release for the character, which featured a different actor in the lead role. As a movie, 2004's The Punisher borders on unmemorable... It's competently written, performed, and constructed, but some key choices made by Hensley tend to get away from the spirit of the character as he was presented in his best comics. Hensley entirely changed the setting, characters, and impact of the Punisher's origin story. Where traditionally Frank's wife, son, and daughter were killed in New York's Central Park by getting caught in the crossfire of a mob meeting gone bad, Hensley's version of the origin was more deliberate than incidental. At the beginning of the film, Frank worked with the FBI in busting up a gun-running operation in which one of the young criminals was killed. The man killed was the son of Florida criminal magnate Howard Saint, as played by John Travolta, who reasoned that Castle needed to die to pay for the loss of his son. When he learns that Castle is going to a family reunion in Puerto Rico, Saint decides that not only will Castle die, but that his entire family will die. So instead of Central Park, the event itself takes place in Puerto Rico. Instead of Frank's immediate family, Frank watches his wife, son, no daughter this time, cousins, nieces, nephews, and parents get murdered at the hands of Howard Saint's men. While this definitely seems to make Frank's catalyzing event grander, it also seems like it kind of gets away from the point of the character. Frank died inside when his family was killed in Central Park, not just because he lost the people he loved most, but because their deaths were so needless. It was a random act of fate that put them in Central Park the same day that a mob meeting took place, and this caused Frank's efforts to focus on the mob, which would then lead to grander things for the Punisher. Though there's perfectly competent action, it kind of just becomes a somewhat generic revenge story, with a few nods to the work of Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon thrown in. It's not particularly bad, but it's not exactly great either. In regards to Thomas Jane, though, he crafted a version of the character in his performance that very clearly lost all purpose. By the time he finds it again as the Punisher, his gruff and detached vocal delivery makes for one of the most distinctive visions of the Punisher outside of the comics. A guy with only one purpose to punish. At the box office, the movie was technically successful in the sense that it made more money than it cost to produce, but it was far from a box office hit. With a global take of only $54.7 million, enthusiasm for a sequel was minimal, and a protracted development cycle ultimately saw Jane leave a second film behind, and a new creative team was brought aboard. Because of the way things went down, we never got another official live-action portrayal of the Punisher by Thomas Jane. Thankfully, though, we did get at least one other performance from him, which brings me back to the topic of video games. Before the early 2000s, the Punisher had a minimal but still acknowledgeable presence in the video game medium. In 1990, the infamous LJN released an over-the-shoulder shooter based on the Punisher for the original Nintendo Entertainment System, with a DOS and Amiga game arriving on PCs from developer Microprose that same year. Capcom created a coin-operated Punisher arcade game in 1993, a beat 'em up which co-starred Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. That same game would get ported to the Sega Genesis a year later, and beyond that, there was... nothing. He made a cameo appearance in the 2000 Spider-Man game released on the original PlayStation and the Nintendo 64, but until this game... That was it. That would mean that home console gamers hadn't been able to play as Frank himself in just about 10 years by the time our subject game was first announced. In September of 2004, roughly five months after Hensley's film bowed in theaters, publisher THQ and developer Volition Incorporated announced that they were developing a new video game experience based on The Punisher. With the initial project announcement emphasizing the idea that gamers would be able to enter, quote, the mind of the Punisher, and that players would get the opportunity to serve as judge, jury, and executioner in a world that was ruled by corruption, the announcement also proclaimed that players could, quote, live in the gritty, bullet-driven action ripped from the pages of Marvel's Darkest Stories. On that point, it's pretty difficult to dispute, because they definitely did go for authenticity when it comes to representing the source material. Still riding high off of the early issues of Garth Ennis' first Marvel Knights run in 2000, both Ennis and collaborator Jimmy Palmiotti would be hired to pen the story for the game. Ultimately, that story represented Welcome Back Frank very much, and the liberties that it did take from that material served a wider purpose of emphasizing gameplay. About a month after the game's initial announcement, THQ put out a press release that confirmed the performer who would actually be providing Frank's voice in the game, none other than the big screen Punisher himself, Thomas Jane. Weirdly enough, Jane's involvement makes the place that this game occupies something of a unique one when compared with other comics-based games. Let me explain. With the inclusion of Ennis and Palmiotti as the game's story writers, along with a visual design for the characters that's very reminiscent of the comics, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the game was just a one-off endeavor that bases itself off of the comic books. That's not really the case though, because while Punisher mainstay villain Jigsaw appears as the primary antagonist, the character as he's presented in the game is actually one of the sons of, wait for it, Howard Saint, the character played by John Travolta in the 2004 film. So, even though the primary narrative and aesthetic inspiration for the game are the comics by Ennis Dillon and Pomiati, this game is also a weirdly loose tie-in and potential sequel to the 2004 film written and directed by Jonathan Hensley, with the origin for this version of Jigsaw spinning directly out of the conclusion to the movie. The game's story also features cameos from several notable Marvel Comics characters, not the least of which are Matt Murdock and even a fully-fledged in-costume appearance from Iron Man. So, in trying to figure out exactly what this game is as it relates to the larger Punisher franchise, it's a Frankenstein sequel to the 2004 film, adaptation of Welcome Back Frank, and spiritual extension of the mainline Marvel Comics universe. It seemed like Ennis Palmiotti, and the developers at Volition Incorporated were very much swinging for the fences in that regard, which is perfectly fine with me personally. Now, after giving all of that contextual information, I'm sure you're wondering how the game element of the experience actually measures up. At the end of the day, The Punisher is actually quite a highlight in the comics-based gaming space, especially considering the era in which it was released. By early 2005, We weren't exactly unaccustomed to seeing good superhero games, but given its place as a third-person shooter with a pretty innovative element on top of the solid shooting mechanics, The Punisher as a game was unique enough to make it very interesting. Of course, the primary meat of the game's 16 different missions is as a third-person shooter. The missions themselves aren't complicated. You're placed at point A and on your way to point B you have to blow the hell out of anything and anyone that gets in your way. If that was all that the Punisher had to offer between some well-written Garth Ennis-crafted cutscenes, then the game would be far less than memorable. What makes the game different is, as that very first promotional post on Marvel's website claimed, is that it puts you in the mind of Frank Castle and forces you to make life-and-death decisions at virtually every turn. Thankfully, those decisions usually don't involve your life. As you move through each level, you'll have the option to grab your enemies and use them as human shields, interrogate them using the intimidation of a pistol or even beating them with your fists. When you choose to interrogate someone, the pressure you put on them is determined by the pressure you put on the left thumbstick. For instance, if you decide to try and break a criminal by pushing your pistol into their temple, you have to be careful. Pushing hard will scare them more, indicated by a meter that appears, But if you push that thumbstick too hard, then you'll just flatly shoot your target in the head, ending the interrogation and taking some of the game's style points away from you. The real memorable parts of the game, though, come from the environmental interrogations. This is where it becomes exceedingly clear that the game isn't designed to take itself too seriously, because the violence here is so outlandish that it comes off in some places as cartoonish. When you see the Punisher's distinctive skull start to emanate from a specific point in the game's map, you can drag an enemy to that spot and use some aspect of the environment to threaten them into giving up valuable information. One of these moments actually sees you place an enemy into a cremation oven as you slowly turn up the heat to compel them to talk. Once you break them and they give up their valuable intel, you can choose to let them at and dispatch of them peacefully, or roast them alive. Similar environmental interrogations revolve around a wood chipper, a couple of high-up windows, and, my personal favorite, a tank full of carnivorous piranhas at the Central Park Zoo. Yeah, that's right. You can feed some poor bastard's head to the waiting chompers of the hungry fish. The game also has a special meter that, when filled, allows Frank to enter rage mode. The map becomes a little slower and distorted as Frank goes into a blind rage, throwing knives and shooting enemies like the amped up Rambo you'd expect him to be. There are some instances as well when you break a criminal after an interrogation and they say something that triggers a flashback. The line from the criminal echoes in Frank's ears as some traumatic event flashes before the player's eyes in the form of panels from real Punisher comics. Frank then gives off a snarky one-liner and quickly ends their life. This will not make me talk no more torture torture, torture. torture. Shit. No more torture. That, in a nutshell, is 2005's The Punisher. It's actually kind of lucky that the game was able to skirt by with an M rating from the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, because a lot of the violence depicted in the game was considered too strong for an M by the ESRB. This was fixed to a degree by Volition, who, in the more violent instances, made the camera shift into black and white, limiting the effect of some of the gorier elements. The violence as it was originally rendered does appear in international releases of the game, but in the United States, it had to make that concession in order to avoid an adults-only rating, which would have severely limited its commercial viability. So, how was the game ultimately received? Pretty positively. In his review for IGN, Hilary Goldstein writes, quote, The Punisher is a blast to play. Yes, there are many moments where it starts to get monotonous, but then you suddenly hit a new interrogation zone, and suddenly it's a bloody fiesta. How scary is human nature that the more extreme the violence gets, the funnier it seems to be. If you're the type of person who rolls during Freddy vs. Jason or who giggles after every headshot in Halo 2, this is your type of game. If you're somebody's mother, well, this is probably your type of game to complain about. He scored it an eight out of ten. At Games Radar, Dan Dawkins wrote, quote, "Behind the gore, The Punisher does nothing new, but what it does, it does very well, and it'll keep you going until you finish it simply because you won't want to miss out on any of the spectacular torture set pieces." End quote. He scored it a four out of five. GameSpot took a more negative perspective on the final product, with reviewer Jeff Gertzman summing things up by saying, quote, The Punisher tries to break out of the third-person shooter blueprint by offering sometimes gory interrogation sequences, but these portions don't do enough to change what is otherwise a very by-the-numbers action game. If you're a fan of the character, you'll probably get some enjoyment out of running around and torturing enemies, But the lack of variety here causes this portion of the game to wear thin fast. He scored it a 6.5 out of 10. Overall, the legacy of the game over the course of the intervening decade seems largely positive. It's true that sometimes comics-based games, or any licensed game for that matter, can get graded on a curve when compared with other original game releases. But, As far as trying to do something different, as well as represent a beloved comics character, The Punisher definitely does far more things correctly than it gets things wrong. Thomas Jane turned in an appropriately detached and resonant vocal performance as Frank, while the creative and gameplay elements clearly make this the best Punisher experience someone can find on consoles. Since then, The Punisher's console appearances have been sporadic at best, Licensing for this game kept him out of both Marvel Ultimate Alliance games in 2006 and 2009, respectively, and a cash-grab movie tie-in called Punisher No Mercy was released exclusively on the PlayStation Network for the PS3 in mid-2009, but it was so unremarkable and poorly received that Sony doesn't even make it available anymore. Outside of a playable appearance in 2013's LEGO Marvel Super Heroes and some mobile and Facebook-based games, We haven't seen a whole lot from the Punisher in the gaming space since then. Still, that just makes the positive feelings that fans have for this game all the more pronounced, especially for fans of the title character. In that spirit, this issue's discussion portion features a colleague of mine from Batman on Film as we reminisce about the experience of playing this game and the legacy that we feel it has for comics-based gaming at large. Hope you enjoy it.
0: So, now you're going head-to-head with the Nucci crime syndicate. You hit their alleged drug-running operations in the chop shop. Then you tracked down Bobby Nucci in Lucky's bar and killed him. Then you decided to crash Bobby's funeral. Most people crash parties. You crash funerals. But I guess funerals are kinda like parties for you. Right, Frank? You have no idea what funerals are like for me.
2: And now we move on to the discussion portion for this episode, and I have a very special guest joining me, a fellow Batman on Film contributor as well as a writer for Flickering Myth, Ricky Church. Ricky, how you doing?
3: I'm good, Chris. How are you?
2: I'm doing just fine, thanks. So uh, you came to me, you wanted to talk about this game pretty much before I had even slotted uh, an episode (laughs) for it. How come? Tell me about it.
3: Well, um... I, uh, I found myself, like, really enjoying this game back when it came out. And, you know, the Punisher, he, he hasn't always been a character who has really, like, stood above a lot of other, uh, superheroes, like, much less the Marvel you. So, mm. um, I just thought that with, now with Daredevil coming out, or, uh, now, now that it has come out and, um, a lot of people have watched it, it's, his popularity has seemed to, like, rise a lot, um, especially just with his portrayal by uh, John Bernthal in the show, and that seemed to be the one thing everyone has really enjoyed about Daredevil's second season. And then just even going back, like, further than that, uh, he's had three attempts at movies, and the one that everyone seems to like the most out of those three is the 2004 one, with Thomas Jane, who yes. has voiced Punisher again for this game, so it really just seemed to me like a, a very good opportunity to talk about this game and its uh controversial stance at least at the time of its release, because because yeah, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of controversy over its uh, rating, which I, I feel like if it came out today then there might not be quite as much controversy, but, um, mm. yeah, like, his, the Punisher has kind of seemed to be getting a resurgence of late, so that's one reason why I want to, uh, speak about this game.
2: Sure, yeah, and, you know, you talk about the, uh, the evolution of the ESRB rating system, at least for us over here in North America, mm-hmm. and... I mean looking over the last even just the last couple of years it seems like there's been quite a lot of movement as far as how games are classified and how they're rated I mean obviously you and I paid very close attention to Arkham Knight when it came out and yeah, I certainly exactly. my my attention was certainly uh uh achieved when it was announced that it was going to be rated M And then even weirder than that, and I know you're also a big Halo fan, just like I am, and Halo 5 was rated T the first time one of the FPS entries in that series received a rating that was lower than M. So it seems like right now we have sort of a changing stance in how the ESRB actually uh, determines a rating classification for games based on content. But, I mean, when it comes to this game... If if it had some of the, the harsher levels of violence... And I know that in some international releases of this game, they actually didn't censor it as much as they did in the one that we got.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, I, I have a hard time seeing it getting anything other than an M, but do you think it could have gone up to, like, an AO?
3: In like, in today? Uh, yeah. No, like, I think if it were released as it is today, um, mm-hmm. it, it, it would achieve an M, and probably not risk going higher. Mm-hmm. That that would be that's my opinion. Um just because sure. like in the last few years alone we've seen uh quite a few more games come out um and with an M rating that have been either just as violent or if not more so. Uh right. one one example uh, is Grand Theft Auto V, even with its own uh, controversy, but like there's that extended torture sequence in it, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of the the prime scene that a lot of people point to. But that game like didn't censor it at all. Like uh, the Punisher video game uh, at the interrogation scenes, you know, it went uh, black and white for at least for uh, the North American release. Yeah. Um, but Grand Theft Auto 5 didn't. And um, another example is the uh, Call of Duty. I, I think it was Modern Warfare 2. Maybe it was 3. But in that sequence, you know, one particular sequence of that game is you're, like, undercover as a terrorist. And... Yeah, that was
2: 2 Then the yes, airport. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, so 2 it was. And... Um, but with that game, with that sequence, you also had the option of skipping that, which I found interesting, like, if, mm-hmm. if you were uncomfortable in that position. So I think if The Punisher came out now, it, it would get a M rating without any kind of risk of going higher than that.
2: Hmm. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the um, the no Russian scene in, in Modern Warfare 2, mm-hmm. because I think that... Um, I mean, it was definitely very interesting when you got that warning playing through that campaign. I remember the first time I played through that campaign and seeing those warnings. I think the warnings kind of were counterproductive Mm -hmm. because it actually made me more interested in what the game was going to do because I genuinely had no idea before I actually saw it. Yeah. And I actually recently revisited that whole, all three Modern Warfare games again, and You know, it is pretty shocking. I mean, the violence in that scene in particular is a very different flavor than the kind Mm -hmm. of violence that we get in the... I mean, not a different flavor in the sense that it's a a lighter or headier level of violence. I mean, the stuff that Frank does in this game is brutal. Oh, yeah. And, and, And we'll get into that stuff in a minute. But, I mean, I guess, especially considering that... Well, let's see, that game was released in 2009, so we were all still... Pretty shaken up, I guess, over the events of September 11th. Mm-hmm. When I mean, it was closely tied to something that happened that were a, a chain of events that began in an airport. Yeah, and uh, and so I guess I mean that's probably where the shock value comes into play. But when it comes to the Punisher game, I mean, I guess the thing that kind of comes to my mind first and foremost, I listened to the um, the How Did This Get Made podcast with Lexi Alexander, where she talks about Warzone, the movie that she mm-hmm. directed. And one of the things that attracted her to the idea of making a Punisher movie was several comics examples that she was given where she laughed out loud at the absurdity of the violence that was shown in, in some of those books. And I I don't think she named specifically which comics there were, but I'm guessing it was a Garth Ennis book yeah. and Marvel Knights around mm-hmm. something like that. And, I mean, even then, the the level of violence in the game, I mean, there are some parts that go toward that. But a lot more of it seems closer to what we just saw in Daredevil Season 2. Yeah. Uh, where he is brutally dispatching people that he just has no remorse for whatsoever. Yeah. And for a long time, I mean, when I first got into to the Punisher as a character, it was probably about, it was probably around the time that the game came out when Garth Ennis was writing stuff in, in Marvel Nights with Steve Dylan as the artist. Uh, but it seemed like Ennis, Ennis wrote a very awesome introduction to his very first issue of, of the Punisher back in 2000, where he said, reading a Punisher comic or taking in a Punisher story is not an automatic endorsement of the things that he does. This is for Mm -hmm. entertainment value. Get over yourself. That's basically what he said. And, uh, and that kind of opened my mind because... I'm a Superman fan. I I believe in inspirational heroism quite a bit. Uh So moving to a character like the Punisher, I'm glad that Ennis told me that because I might have had these weird moralistic preconceived notions about how how much I was supposed to enjoy a Punisher story, and because of that, that's kind of what got me into the Punisher. But what was your introduction to him as a character? Did were you mostly introduced to him through one of those movies that you've already mentioned? Was it the comics? Was it this game maybe?
3: Um the earliest and this is kind of going to be funny. The earliest I remember anything Punisher related was actually the uh, Spider-Man animated series in the 90s. Okay, yeah. But of course Punisher didn't kill people in that series, because, like, like, he was really, really toned down, but, Mm -hmm. um, I did think, like, oh, that's kind of a cool character, um, and then, as I got older, uh, I kind of realized, like, oh, he was actually really watered down for the animated series, he's, he's not like that at all, (laughs) um, (laughs) But, so, so then my main introduction to him, I guess, would have been the, uh, the Thomas Jane, uh, 2004 movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember if I actually saw the Dolph, uh, uh, one in 80. oh in
2: 89 yeah. yeah i mean you don't you don't
3: need yeah. to i don't think I've, yeah i don't think i've actually ever seen it maybe a couple of clips so
2: this this is how influential that movie yeah. is it is freely available to watch on youtube yeah in high definition
3: so, so so
2: it's not hard to find
3: yeah so my main introduction was then the 2004 film which mm-hmm. um you know, I, I thought it looked interesting, like before release, like seeing all, all the previews and everything, I thought it looked interesting. And, uh, Thomas Jane, like he certainly fit, seemed to me to fit the role. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I read up about him and, um, when I learned that he, he himself is a comic book fan and has, uh, you know, a, uh, like, the Punisher is one of his favorite characters. I was like, oh, it seems like they, you know, really got a uh, good actor to play him then if he's like a fan and not just a fan of comics, but a Punisher fan. Right. Um, and while the movie, like, wasn't, you know, by any means like great or anything like that, mm-hmm. I still enjoyed it. Uh, sure. for What it is. And, um, I, I also enjoyed Thomas Jane in the role. So, yeah, that that movie was my first real introduction to uh The Punisher.
2: Let me tell you how cool Thomas Jane is because it was I think it was back in it was either 2011 or 2012. He was a guest at the Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, a show that I frequented as a as a comic book retailer every year until I moved away from the Pacific Northwest. And mo when you go to a convention and most people know this, you go to a convention and chances are, if you want to meet a celebrity, you can go up and you know shake their hand freely and everything, mm-hmm. but they'll usually charge you for an autograph. Yep. Thomas Jane is not the same way. I was able to go up and approach him and ask him to sign something, and he didn't ask for anything in return. Took a picture with me. Very cool guy. Kind of monosyllabic. He doesn't say much. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that I told him, I said, I don't know what you did in that first Punisher movie, but now whenever I read a Punisher comic book... I always hear your voice. You
3: know, that's the same reaction I had. I, I always hear his voice as well when I read, uh, like, anything Punisher-related or if he's in exactly. the story. Yeah.
2: Because he's got this detached but also informed and brutal delivery that mm-hmm. he always gives with the Punisher. Yep. And the thing that I had him sign when I met him was the cover for this game. Oh, cool. Because because he performed the the character in this game. I knew that I wanted to have him mm-hmm. sign a copy of it. But I mean, the thing with the Punisher movie that he uh he first started the role in. It's very interesting because it is a pretty radical departure all things considered. Yeah, it is. From how the character is presented in the comics. I mean, the origin story is a completely different, where he operates is completely different, but it also Jonathan Hensley, who wrote and directed it, also took a lot of inspiration weirdly enough from those early 2000s Garth Ennis stories, particularly Welcome Back Frank mm-hmm. from 2000 to 2001. I mean, he brings the Russian over. who's played by pro wrestler Kevin Nash. And the uh, the characters in the apartment building where Frank shacks up are pretty much taken directly from, from the uh, Welcome Back Frank story. Mm-hmm. There were some changes made to some of the characters, but overall, he incorporated them. And then the thing that's even more interesting when you take this game into account is that... It is very much based off of those Garth Ennis stories. In fact he co wrote the story for this game with Jimmy Palmiotti, but it's also, weirdly enough, a movie tie in game. Yeah. Which is very strange because they tie the, the origin of Jigsaw, a very well known Punisher villain, mm-hmm. in with the son of John Travolta's character. So it's kind of a movie tie in game. Yeah, it's like it, But it's also kind of yeah, nuts.
3: It acts like as a very loose sequel. To, yeah. Which, uh, took me back because I like, even though there was, when I first played it, even though there was, you know, the obvious Thomas Jane connection, I thought this game had like no kind of ties to, uh, to his movie. And then, right. you know, when you play the game and, uh, that revelation comes that Jigsaw is actually the surviving son of, uh, John Travolta's character, I was like, oh, really? okay that's that's interesting they made that choice, well
2: yeah, yeah, sure. I mean it's it's I guess it's efficient because that movie by that point was less than a year old, yeah, and uh it's probably still fresh in the minds of a lot of people, but it was definitely an interesting approach to take because normally these comic book based video games when they're based on a movie are usually entirely based on a movie. Mm-hmm. Or one of these other games, like the uh, the 2003 Hulk game, for instance, still very much tied to that film, but takes place a whopping eight years after its completion. But this movie, I mean, it sort of ties in, but it also doesn't. And it embraces the larger Marvel mythology by having cameos from the likes of Iron Man and even Daredevil, which I thought was great. Yeah, I
3: thought that was uh, a great cameo. Like, not even to see Daredevil, but see Matt Murdock. Uh, like, yeah, I-, I thought that was a brilliant move, actually. Um, oh yeah. And just to bring Matt Murdock in and, you know, you know, he's Daredevil, but you don't see him in the costume. You see him right. in his alter ego, which, and of course trying to defend Punisher and like act as his lawyer. I-, I thought, yeah, I thought that was a really uh, cool cameo.
2: And it makes sense. I mean, yeah. considering the interactions that both of those characters had in the comics yeah. up to that point, I mean, it it was totally in line with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And of course, we got to see the Kingpin, yep. who uh, who had some pretty notable interactions with Frank this season in Daredevil.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: so it was weirdly prophetic. It's too bad that they can't just sort of remaster it and re-release it now yeah. because it would mm-hmm. probably do better now than it did back when it was first released. Mm-hmm. But um, so we've we've alluded to the violence level a little bit but i mean i think that that was probably one of the most shocking elements of this game for me but when you did you play this game when it was first released
3: yeah i um because of the the movie and you know like like you said it's kind of like a loose tie in um
2: mm-hmm.
3: i I don't think I picked it up right away. I think I waited like maybe a month or two to uh, get it, but I did. Okay. Yeah. But I did buy it. And, Mm -hmm. um, at that point as well, like I had heard about the controversy around the, the uh, rating. So, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I, I really was not expecting the level of brutality, um, in some portions of the game. (laughs) Like, uh, after completing it i was like okay i can kind of see where they were coming from with this Cause, <laughs> but um you know as, as you kind of said earlier with uh lexi alexander like um how she had thought that some of the, the violence was like over the top and wanted to like mm-hmm. present that like i i feel that's the same direction the game was going for because you know you get the basic like you know, just shoot them in the head executions. Um, right. But then you get the really over the top ones, like, uh, burning them alive in the coffin or,
2: uh, <laughs> in a crematorium yeah. <laughs> or, or feeding their heads to a bunch of piranhas yeah, in the zoo. Yeah,
3: exactly. So you get those yeah. over the top, uh, ultra violent thing, uh, violent sequences that just seems like it's, Playing off the idea of, like, yeah, this character is really, really screwed up. um, Right. And this is his world. This is his, like, he's ultra violent. He's not like, you know, uh, James Bond or anybody where it's a quick kill. Like, no, it's, like, brutally dispatch them. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, and um, you know, when cuz I actually did not play this game when it very when it first came out. Uh cuz I was a GameCube kid. Yeah. So, I I had <laughs> not I had not picked up a PS2 or an Xbox by this point and I wasn't most of the gaming I was doing on PC mostly revolved around some Star Wars games. Yeah. It wasn't uh wasn't any anything that you could find on a console, but when I actually did finally get around to playing this, I remember being in, it, I think it was after I had sort of delved more deeply into some of the more celebrated Punisher comics mm-hmm. by Garth Ennis. So playing the game was a weirdly companion-like experience to the the experience of reading a lot of those Ennis books. Because, I mean, there's a lot of thematic similarities, yeah. and there's a lot of characters like the... Uh, the Nucci family is prominently mm-hmm. featured in the game yeah. in, the, in the early going. And,
3: um, like, I was actually just to kind of refresh myself on the game since it's been so long since I played it. Like, I lost my copy years ago. I forget if I lent it to a friend or whatever. So I was watching, like, YouTube videos of it. And, and like, the opening sequence, or not the opening sequence, but, like, when, uh, the, the opening of the very first level, like, he's directly quoting do not follow New York, which I, yes. I was like, Oh, you know, at the time of playing it, like I hadn't read that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think it was like last year, or the year before you recommended me to read that story and I thought it was great. So then when I watched uh, the video, um, a few days ago, I was like, Oh wow. Like that really, uh, brought the game more like, uh, up in my level because, sure. um, they're quoting a very famous and well-known and one of the best Garthina stories uh, of the Punisher.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that issue is probably my single favorite Punisher issue ever up to this point. Mm -hmm. Greg Rucka came close, but not quite. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, they definitely pounded my heart straight through by, Mm -hmm. by quoting that story directly. But I mean, the thing to remember, too, is that there were a few, like, as far as the critical reception for the game is concerned, Mm -hmm. there are a few sort of errant negative ones, but for the most part, this game was reviewed very positively. I mean, like, some of the major outlets, like IGN, I think, gave it an 8. It's got a Metacritic score that's close to, like, 67, but... A lot of critic reviews were very positive. Maxim gave it a ten out of ten when it first came out, mm-hmm. uh, and so playing through it at the time, because we had we had a fair amount of pretty solid superhero games come out around that. Yeah, time. I mean the one that the one that jumps out at me the most is probably Spider-Man too. Yeah, same. But Punisher dared to be different. I mean. It seemed like especially now, and probably at the time as well, the inclination for a character like him is to go with the first person shooter route, yeah I mean they did that for James Bond over and over again to varying levels of success, but I mean, the Punisher most comic book games, the best comic book games I've played have always been third person. Mm-hmm. And by adopting a third-person approach, and the the cover mechanic, and and human shields, and and all of the other elements that it decided to implement, it made it pretty unique. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I think, still makes the experience of playing the game very enjoyable. Uh, So, when when you first finished it, do you remember what stuck out to you? I guess more than just the violence. But the actual experience of playing the game, what comes to mind first when you think of actually moving through each level?
3: Um, you know, like, I I was kind of, like, struck by, like, all the different ways you, oh, well, I guess I shouldn't say all the different ways, because there's not, like, I guess when you think about it, there's not that many ways you could play it, but, um... Mm -hmm. You know, you could go in, like, guns blazing, or you could go in, like, kind of almost stealth-like, like, take them out quietly and stuff in some areas, or, like, do a combination of both. Uh So I think that kind of uh, struck me. And at the time, um I was uh, also a big, like, Splinter Cell fan.
2: <laughs> okay, all
3: right. So uh, to do some... To do some, like, stealth kind of tactics, or at least try to as the Punisher, that kind of seemed pretty cool to me. Um, sure. Like, one of my favorite levels that that stood out was when uh, you're in the jungle, and you have to, like, traverse through it and, like, snipe some uh, of the guys before, like, getting your way into the main facility with Nick Fury. I, I thought that was a really cool kind of sequence. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that, that kind of stood out to me that you could play it like multiple ways or like even, even when, um, you're interrogating people, like you could either, once you got the information, you could either let them go and see how that might, uh, like affect your gameplay. Cause mm-hmm. I remember in the first level, um, uh, you know, you, you're, you interrogate a guy and He's like, if you let me go, like, I'll go in and, like, you know, talk to them. I'll, you know, uh, distract them or something. And, and right. if you let him go, the first thing he does when he gets in the room is, of course, say, the Punisher's outside, kill him. Um <laughs> But then in a couple other sequences, it's like, if you do let them go, then there's actually, like, a positive um uh, aspect to it of like they, they help you shut down security or something, or they do distract a bad guy or whatever. And yeah. whereas if you do just kill them, then you don't get that element of surprise. So the, it was little things like those that really stood out to me. Um, another one was too, um, when you're in the, the Nucci house, um, you come across a guy in a cage who, uh, is being like held hostage or whatever, and you don't, like, he, he has some story. I can't quite remember why he's there, but then you find out from another guy later as you're like coming back to rescue him that he's actually a drug dealer. But yeah. you only find that out if you like decide to help him and like talk to this other guy who's there. And cause if you don't talk to that other guy, then you can just let him go. No problem. But if you do talk to his friend. Then and find out he's a drug dealer. Then you just kill him right there in the cell. So yeah, it, yeah, it was little things like that that made the gameplay um, really unique for me. Uh, sure. Yeah, that, that added more to it than just you know go in guns blazing and kill everybody kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean you had to think a few steps ahead. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, you could obviously, like you alluded to, go in guns blazing, but the the experience seemed to reward you. If you actually did give it the thought mm-hmm. to actually decide how you're going to bust into a room, I mean, you could, if if you had, if you encountered a hostile right outside a crowded room, then you could take them as a human shield, mm-hmm. shove them through the door, and cause a little bit of disarray before you actually start taking them out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or, uh, I mean, the interrogation, the the style points for the game actually create an interesting dynamic beyond just getting a big score because in in how you decide to dispatch enemies it rewards you or it penalizes yeah. you. So, you know, if you're if you're doing an interrogation, you manage to break someone and then you just kill them right afterward at the snap of a finger, then it'll punish you for it. Yeah. But if you break someone And you either decide to let them go to see if they're going to help or hinder you, or if you take them as a human shield and and one of their comrades ends up killing them, then you get rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of an interesting dynamic to place onto the core gameplay experience. And, you know, points, generally speaking, especially in modern games, points don't usually mean all that much.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: But... With this, it kind of gave an interesting dynamic and an incentive for you to actually see how a situation could play out beyond just, you know, putting a gun in someone's head and pulling the trigger. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you're right there. Um, Because one, like, one uh, kind of um, thing that's similar is, you know, like you said, you and I have played the Arkham games, and right. you get points for like however many guys you take out in like, you know, uh, all the variations. Where, and this, it's like, yeah, if you just kill a guy after interrogation, then it's like docks you points for, I guess, the morality of it, which I find funny because it's, you know, it's the <laughs> punisher. Like he's, yeah. he is supposed to be black and white with, uh, criminals, like no matter, you know, what they do really. Yeah. Um so yeah, the point system was really interesting, um th- throughout the game, just in in seeing like how you could be rewarded for not doing the like not just straight up killing people or taking more uh like duck and cover kind of routes kind of thing. And, yeah. and taking the hostages and like you said, planning out your uh your no pun intended yeah
2: well and it it allows you to if you have a mindset going into a certain level that you're going to play the game in a specific way and you seem to already have your mind made up Mm -hmm. then at least at the at at the bare minimum the points can give you an idea of maybe playing things a different way Mm -hmm. you know because if you decide to you could go through this entire game in one fashion, and it wouldn't be a very uh, varying experience, mm-hmm. I guess. yeah. So actually creating some kind of uh, of dynamic of variety in in how you actually decide to tackle a specific level kind of makes the replay value a little bit higher because yeah, for sure, even though there's not a branching narrative or anything, the story doesn't play out any differently. You could at least see the different results of the actions that you take, and and that's something that's pretty interesting. I mean, it's obviously this game doesn't have a uh, an infrastructure that would allow for a lot of dynamic narrative changes. is still mm-hmm. pretty early on when it came to that kind of story exploration, yeah. but it is a. I mean, I play. I, I have played a lot of superhero games, just like you have and I can think of a lot worse experiences yeah. than The Punisher. I mean, it's just, it, it gets to the core of who the character is supposed to be, while also taking you on something of a fun ride that evokes some of the best comics. And in that respect, you could probably argue that The Punisher might be one of the better comics-based video games ever made.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I like, when I first played it, and then through, like, my replays afterwards, I was really taken aback by actually just how, like, fun it was and how much it did get the character right. Cause, uh, at the time, like, there weren't that many good superhero movies. Or, um, sorry. <laughs> games. Of course, there are good <laughs> right. superhero, uh, movies, but, uh, yeah, there weren't many good games. Um, the best mm-hmm. that we could think is Spider-Man 2, um, at, yeah. at that time. So, I, I found this to be a really, like, uh, good and well thought out, um, superhero game. Um, yeah. especially since, you know, they, they didn't just make it a straight up first person shooter. Like, it was third person and you could do more than just kill people with guns. Like, they, they, brought in a lot of different variety to it um, just through, like, the executions and then, like, the different kind of weapons that you could use. Um, And, like you said, it really delved into um, kind of who the character of the Punisher actually is. One, One of the things that I really liked about the game was finding all the little bonuses of, like, uh, Frank's flashbacks to Vietnam or his family yeah like that was a really cool and unique feature to the game that like I hadn't seen done in any other like superhero game at that point um and and that actually made you want to or at least it made me but it made you want to actually talk with uh the criminals because it was often them who would say that one trigger word and like it would come flooding back to Frank. But you only yeah. got that unless you did um progress the conversation rather than outright kill them.
2: Yeah. You couldn't, uh you couldn't actually unlock all of those moments unless you actually parsed out what you could do mm-hmm. in, in a fuller conversation. Yeah. That's a really good point. Cause I'd kind of forgotten about that dynamic, but I mean, that does give you even just a little bit more incentive, not only into actually engaging with the criminals that you encounter, but it also gives a greater context to Frank himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to see kind of firsthand all of this. St- I mean, if anything, if you can say one clear for sure thing about Frank Castle and the Punisher, he's got a lot of baggage. Yeah. And... Uh, and by implementing a system that kind of calls back to, uh, some pretty major moments in his comic book history, because it uses comic book panels in those flashbacks, yeah. then you also create maybe a sense of curiosity about who he is and what he's about. And I know that there were a few of those flashbacks specifically that made me try and seek out which images those, uh, or, or which books those panels originated mm-hmm. from i should
3: say yeah that's a really good point because like i said my main exposure to uh, the punisher was strictly the, the thomas jane movie so seeing all those that did make me curious as to um the punisher comics so so that's when i started kind of searching out like either through the internet or at comic book stores some more Punisher centric stories and some uh, like the bigger ones. Um, mm-hmm. and I haven't like, uh, read a lot of Punisher stories, but I've read like some of the more major ones or no, some of the more major points of his history. Um, and I've read a few, uh, team ups, but between like him and Spider-Man or sure. him and, like Wolverine, stuff like that. But yeah, uh, that is a really good point about like bringing in those elements from the comics and utilizing the, uh, like the actual comic art that yeah. did make, uh, me interested in, uh, searching out for the comics. I know i um, speaking to a couple other people, um, uh, when they played the game, because like I said, I-, I lent it to a couple of friends that- saying like, you know, I think you'd like this game. Like it's a really good, like first person or, Shooter game kind of thing. And uh, they they said the same thing as well, that they uh, were really interested in like searching a bit more out about the character.
2: Yeah, uh, I remember one flashback specifically, and I can't remember what the trigger word was, but it was Frank in a military uniform watching a grenade explode. And I was already interested in finding out more about what kind of guy Frank was before he actually had a family uh-huh. and before he w- was put on the path more rigidly to becoming the Punisher. And the story that I found that was actually taken from a book by Garth Ennis and an artist named Derek Robertson, who's probably most known for collaborating with Ennis on, uh, on the boys. And it was from a series called born, which was in the max timeline. Oh. So it was during the Vietnam war. And, It was pretty much about the military experiences that led him toward the mindset of becoming the Punisher. And the Max version of the the character is generally harder-edged in every regard. So whereas in the Marvel Universe, Frank was always a capable soldier, but he was still kind of a decent human being before he became the Punisher... The Max book, and specifically that, that title, Born, casts doubt on that. Uh-huh. Like, there was no. It, the way that Ennis laid it out in Born is that there was no other possible fate for Frank than to become the Punisher, even with his family. Like, he already had an inclination for brutality. Uh, but again, that's not a series I would necessarily be aware of, even had I not encountered the flashback uh-huh. in this game. So, I mean, anytime it, it's very rare where you play a comics-based video game and you're actually given an idea of elements of the source material that you should seek out on your own. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of players who kind of just, "Oh, that's an interesting moment," and left it at that. But for people who might have a little bit more of an idea of actually diving into the comics, it's a really interesting way of alluding to the source material. And then when you actually seek it out, then your appreciation really for the game as a whole just grows, especially as a comic book fan. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Well, um, one kind of similarity uh, that comes to my mind when uh, we're discussing that topic specifically is um, Spider-Man for uh, PlayStation um, Mm -hmm. made like before Spider-Man movie. Yeah. In that, one of the bonus things was you can go around New York finding comic covers to classic Spider-Man stories. Um, but while that's cool, that didn't quite make me, like, want to go out and find those uh, kinds of stories. Cause like you said, it's a cool moment, but you know, whatever. In the Punisher, it at least, uh, helps validate, like, his character and why he's like in this mindset. And then Mm -hmm. in many instances is just adds more tragedy to him because like when he has flashbacks about his family, like those hit, uh, those hit you emotionally. And you can just see like how, how this has messed Frank up and that even though he's like calm and collected throughout most of the game, or mm-hmm. even just throughout most of his career in the comics, there are moments where um, that Fakad kind of breaks down. Um, yeah. So, like, I thought that was a really interesting uh, element to introduce in this game as Frank, because then, and then you're also not just seeing it from his perspective, but you're also seeing it, like, from your own uh, because those flashbacks hit you as well. It's like, Puts the player in his shoes of like, that's freaky, and oh my god.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, anytime, anytime you get a comic space game, I mean, like you said, finding covers is a much more passive, collectible Mm -hmm. type of experience, you know? I mean, like, even the, the, that's not even exclusive to that Spider-Man game because that was something that they did in in both of the amazing Spider-Man movie-based games. We actually go and find other comic book covers peppered around New York and you just kind of, I mean, for some players, including me, who are obsessed with completionism, then you just kind of go and you collect the covers and maybe you'll go into the the menu and, and see all of the covers that you collected, but Covers are just covers. Covers are, of course, an extraordinarily important part of comics because that's kind of the primary thing that actually sells a book to someone when it's sitting on the rack. But it is just a cover. Usually there's no context. Sometimes a a cover image can play on the fact that there's no context to drive the point of the image that's rendered on it home further so actually giving a character moment up front, even in you know the briefest half-second glimpse, there's already more substance to that. Yeah. Because in some fashion, it informs an aspect of who the Punisher is, what he's about, and why he does things the way that he does them. And you come away from most of those brief flashbacks and the one-liner that Frank has immediately after that with some greater understanding about what drives him. Yeah. And, uh, and just as a character stroke for the interactive medium that is video games, uh-huh. that's kind of a brilliant stroke. Volition definitely hit the nail on the head, I think, when it comes to actually effectively communicating who the Punisher is and what he's about. And that's not something you can get from either a generic first person shooter. Or from just collecting a bunch of comic book covers, you know, it's it's something that seems to come from a genuine interest on the on the part of the developers of who the Punisher is and what he's and what he's
3: about. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I really can't put it any uh, any better than that because it really did delve into what made him tick. And as for like hitting the player like that, um, you know, we we talked about thomas jane uh, and how good he was in the in the role of the punisher but like he in those moments like he really sold it and yeah um just throughout the game like even the the cheeky one-liners that he gives like sounds like very punisher-esque and just not like he's not even trying to be funny. He, he's just saying them like just uh, as if it's like an everyday thing. Which of course for the Punisher it is an everyday thing. Yeah, but, it's part of his life. But but it's just like he he does it with no humor at all, which is where kind of you know the humor plays up in. And uh, yeah,
2: yeah, and you know that's a difference too. Most characters who give one liners, I mean, a Spider-Man one-liner is going to be similar, but generally different than a Robin one-liner. Yeah. Uh, a Punisher one-liner, you're supposed to go, yeah, that's badass, but then at the same time, probably within the same breath, you're thinking, oh, that poor guy. Yeah, like,
3: exactly. You know?
2: I mean, there's there's no real downside when it comes to informing the humor, or the or rather the lack thereof, that informs everything that he does, because... That's kind of the core of who he is. He is an extraordinary badass and one of the most efficient killing machines, or one of the most efficient human killing machines on the planet, but at the same time, that poor guy, Mm -hmm. everything about him was taken from him. Everything that he loved was taken from him by a clear force of criminal corruption and that's where he's decided to focus his intense energies and his ability to end people's lives by... It's not even... I mean, and he says it as much in both the movie and this game that it's not vengeance, it's punishment. Mm-hmm. Because even though it sort of seems like, yeah, maybe he takes some some kind of sadistic joy in what he's doing, he also kind of doesn't. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the more interesting things, to me anyway, about The Punisher is that he just doesn't know what else to do? So this is what he's going to spend his time and his effort doing.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like where, whereas we could see like a, a potential um, life for Bruce Wayne if he ever decides to, you know, hang up the cape and cowl. Um, mm-hmm. you don't really see that with uh, with Frank. You don't. No. You don't see what other life he could have like Bruce Wayne. It's like, okay, he's going to settle down with like Catwoman for the rest of his life. You know, maybe have a kid or, uh, just adopt like formally adopt Dick or Tim or uh, someone as, mm-hmm. uh, as his son, um, get, or just get married to Catwoman, Silver St. Cloud, anybody. Frank, yeah. Frank, there's no one that he can really connect with. Um, no, you know, like, he, he has a tenuous relationship at best with most of the Marvel heroes. Uh, he's, he tries to keep, uh, we, you know, we talked about the three roommates, um, or not roommates, but his three apartment mates, like Joe yeah. and, uh, Spacker Dave. Yep. And he, he tries to keep them at a distance as best as he can. So he doesn't really have anybody and he prefers it that way. Yeah. So there like there's no real life for him. Should he ever like decide to stop being the punisher? Like that that's his purpose. That's all there yeah. is for him.
2: Yeah. I mean it's his self-imposed purpose. Mm-hmm. He he just it's it's kind of the I don't know if it's a failing of society or if it's a if it's a failing of how good he is at what he does that there's just no other path for him. And That is kind of awe-inspiring to a degree, but it's also extraordinarily tragic Mm -hmm. to realize that someone so capable and someone so intelligent really has no choice but to do this one thing until he is dead. And in the Punisher Max series, uh, in the final 22 issues that Jason Aaron wrote, that's what it's about. It's about what the Punisher is like as his life comes to an end. And what legacy he leaves behind, if any. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he's cons- he's so consumed by doling out punishment, does that do anything for a legacy? And that's kind of one of the more interesting elements that uh, that is explored by actually looking at what kind of legacy he could leave behind. But when it comes to his exploration in this game, and you know, we've alluded to it before a little bit, but Thomas Jane does such a good job playing this character. Yeah. first of all, as you alluded to also Ricky, that he believes in the character. He really enjoys the character. but um, I mean, there's a there's a pedigree of performance that he brings to this game that was not easily seen in a lot of other comic space games up mm-hmm. until this this point in time. I mean, we had, of course, seen the likes of Kevin Conroy in Batman Vengeance and Rise of Sin Tzu and a couple of others that were based on the animated series. Uh But for the most part, I mean, when you play the Spider-Man movie games, you're not overly taken with how Toby Maguire says Yeah, lines.
3: exactly. Like
2: Thomas Jane is the Punisher. You are invested in what he's saying yeah. and what he's doing.
3: Yeah. Um Like... I find today uh that voice acting in games has like really gone up in quality. Um Yeah. Cuz like I don't like we have Kevin Spacey in a Call of Duty game. Could you yeah. could you have said that 10 years ago?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. so
3: so to see Thomas Jane deliver like that level of performance at a time where voice acting in games, like wasn't as, uh, I guess wasn't uh, considered the top priority. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really big thing. Um, because he, like you said, he, he sells it as the Punisher and you believe every single line that he says. Um, yeah. And, you know i like back when he was still attached to uh, to do a punisher sequel um i was really looking forward to it like strictly because of him and so when he yeah. decided to leave the project uh I, I was really really disappointed that he would not be involved in a punisher 2 and then that it was going to be rebooted as uh, warzone but at the same time i was like well at least you know, I'll still have the Punisher video game, which at least thankfully, like acts like a sequel to the movie, even if it's a very, very loose sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then of course, you know, uh, years later, we got that great dirty laundry short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was very disappointed that he left Punisher 2, but, um, you know, I found this game was like, a more than suitable replacement for it because just because of like the way he acts in this game, it's like he's acting in the movie. It's like, there's no difference for him, uh, which just shows the level of, uh, professionalism that, that he treats a project. Like, yeah. he, he's the type of actor who gives it his all. And I remember even, you know, that the DC showcase, Jonah Hex, he, voices jonah hex and that and they were talking about how uh in the audio room um he'd be like hey can we take that back i don't really like the way i delivered that line can we do like mm-hmm. another take like he w- and i remember reading that the <laughs> amount of times he said that for a 10 minute uh short animated movie like really surprised all the people involved just with how seriously he took that one thing. So, sure. um, he was definitely the like standout to me of the game. Like, aside from the gameplay and everything, like, it was Thomas Jane who, uh, was the reason I kept playing The Punisher.
2: Oh, sure. And I mean, even in the movie, he's much more memorable than even John Travolta mm-hmm. is. Which says something, you know. It it says something about the uh, the talent that yeah. he obviously has if he believes in a project, and it is a shame. It is an ongoing shame that we never got to see him in live action as the Punisher again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who knows? Now that there's a DC extended universe, maybe we'll actually get to see him play Jonah Hex at some oh, point. Oh, that'd
3: be great! Yeah,
2: that would be awesome. So, I mean, I
3: uh, so um, I can't remember if he actually said when you told him that. You hear his voice in the comics. Uh, d- did he say anything to you about that? Yeah, he
2: said, "I like that." <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah. No, that was that was a really fun moment. But I mean, yeah, his his performance in this game. I mean, it wasn't wholly unique as far as uh, good performances in superhero video games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some better ones probably, but when it comes to an actor coming from a movie to reprise a role in a video game. I can't really think of anybody better. Yeah. Uh I mean he just he he just has that presence his voice has that presence. It's unique, but it's also wholly Punisher that it was very, very memorable. And even beyond that too, I mean this game as a whole, you don't really hear it get talked about a whole lot today. Mm-hmm. And there's also kind of an element of tragedy to that, too, because a few years later, you know, we got the Punisher Warzone movie, and then we got a throwaway tie-in game on the PS3 that was just a really generic and not at all unique first-person shooter. Mm -hmm. And I I think I I might have played it two or three times before it was just completely unnecessary to play ever again. Uh, And that's a shame, too, but it also just highlights how unique this game is specifically in the legacy of the Punisher when it comes to uh, how he's been shown in video games. And that 2008 generic game is the last time we've had a dedicated Punisher video
3: game. Yeah, it'll be really interesting uh, to see now that uh, Punisher had such a big role in Daredevil's second season, and, you know, there's talks that John Bernthal will get his own Punisher Netflix series. Right. Um, It'll be really interesting to see if, like, anything comes out uh, on the video game front, because he is, uh, out of a lot of the Marvel characters, he is one of the better ones ideally suited to a video game, especially for a first-person shooter type thing. Yeah. So since his popularity seems to be back on the rise, like I'd be really curious to see if any uh, developers decide to pick that up or, or make a game or anything.
2: Yeah, we know that in 2017, at some point, Telltale is going to release a game based on a Marvel property. They mm-hmm. haven't specified which Marvel property they're creating a game for yet. But, I mean, it seems like the whole gritty corner of the Marvel Universe would be very well suited to a Telltale style. Yeah, exactly.
3: Video. They have one coming out for Batman soon, so yeah. the Punisher would, like you said, be very, very suited for a Telltale game.
2: Yeah, even if it's a Marvel Knights game mm-hmm. where we see Daredevil and we see the Punisher and you maybe throw uh, Blade or Black Panther in there, I mean, that would be a really solid adaptation for a game. Uh and it's not like you know, the Punisher hasn't been completely absent from superhero games when it comes to his own appearances. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's in the uh the MMO Marvel PC game, Marvel Heroes. Yeah. And uh I think he's on uh well He's in Lego Marvel Superheroes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how how much that counts necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Because that's definitely a very light version yeah. of who he is. But I think he was in
3: the Marvel Alliance games, too, wasn't he?
2: He was actually... In the first one, he was still licensed to THQ, so they oh, didn't okay. include him. And the second one only mentions him. Okay. Because uh, I guess you... Given Punisher's part in Civil War, I guess you kind of have to mention yeah. him at least to a degree. But... Uh yeah, I mean he he wasn't in those games specifically. He would have been a great choice to in, to be included in them. Uh-huh. But I mean we haven't gotten a straight Punisher game since 2000. I, it was either 2008 or nine that the that really generic uh PSN first person shooter came out. Uh-huh. But in a way though too, that just makes this game more special. Yeah, and I imagine that there's going to be a fair amount of people that are seeking this one out now who are more aware of the Punisher than they maybe were before. I mean, it's it's backward compatible on an Xbox 360. So, you, I mean, mm-hmm. most people, I mean, there's 80 million Xbox 360s out there still. Yeah. So, if you manage to pick up a copy of the Punisher, you can play it on any of those. And it's definitely worth playing. If you never actually played this game, then uh, I certainly know that I would recommend it. And I'm pretty sure that Ricky would recommend it as well.
3: Yeah, for sure. Like, even, even if you're not interested in, like, the superhero genre, um, it is still a very good third-person, uh, video game to play just for its style and, uh, gameplay and everything.
2: Yeah, it's very unique. Mm -hmm. And, uh, indefinitely worth giving a shot if you haven't. Well, I think we're gonna leave it there, but, Ricky, thank you very much for joining me. Is there anything that you want to tell people about, where they can find you, some of the stuff that you're doing?
3: Uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much for having me on. It was uh, great talking to you about this game. Um, Absolutely. And people can find me on Twitter at RichardChurch16. And, uh yeah, um, as Chris said earlier, I write for Batman on Film. Um did a lot of Gotham reviews before I dropped out of that show for a little bit. Um, (laughs) And then I also write for uh, a website called flickering myth, doing uh, movie and TV reviews and entertainment news. So you can find my stuff there as well.
2: Excellent. We, we, we descend from jet from the (laughs) great jet. Yep. Always good. All right, Ricky, thank you very much. We'll see you. All right. Thanks a lot.
0: Can't leave bushwhacker like this. He's got so much hardware in him, someone will patch him together again. I have to make a hole too big to patch. That should do it. You bastard! What are you doing?! Disarming you. I don't smile much. Don't smile ever. But if I did, this would be
1: one. That's going to do it for issue number six of Comics on Consoles. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and thanks once again to Ricky Church of Batman on Film and Flickering Myth for joining me to talk about Frank Castle's best video game. So you might be curious, now that we've come to the end of the sixth issue of this show, what's the next one going to focus on? Well, next month we're actually going to be getting two brand new comics-based blockbusters hitting theaters worldwide. While I gave serious consideration to taking a look at a game based on my favorite Marvel Comics character in the form of Captain America, there's one game in particular that I feel should really take precedent because it proved to be so strangely, and perhaps unexpectedly, influential on comics-based gaming at large, especially considering what the following few years after its release would see the genre produce. So, Comics on Consoles is going to journey to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters for the first time on the show, but you can be sure that it won't be the last. Because the X-Men were so popular in the 1990s and 2000s, there were a lot of games released featuring those characters. None from the period after the release of the first two films have managed to stand the test of time as much as this game and its direct sequel have, though, so it seemed like that was a legacy, and a legend that is definitely worth exploring here on comics on consoles in celebration of the impending release of x-men apocalypse from 20th century fox and director brian singer be sure to come back next month as comics on consoles issue number seven dives into one of the most well-regarded action rpgs in all of comics-based gaming x-men legends developed by raven software and published by activision in september of 2004 for the microsoft xbox sony playstation 2 and Nintendo GameCube. Look for that issue to be released near the end of May. In the meantime, you can like Comics on Consoles on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Comics Consoles, and subscribe to the show on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. If you don't already, be sure to also check out my perspective on the latest goings-on in the world of comics-based cinema as I write an article series called Comics on Film every Friday at Movies.com. Follow the Comics on Consoles social media channels to find each article as it's posted, or follow me directly on Twitter at Chris Clow. If you have any questions or comments about the show, feel free to email me directly by sending a message to Chris at on I promise you that I read anything and everything that comes my way. Comics on Consoles is brought to you in part by GeeksGamers.com and is a member of the Pod Tyrant Podcast Network. Until next month, Keep saving the world, gamers and comics fans. After all, the world needs people who continue to believe in heroes. So, why not play one in a video game? Thanks for listening, take care, and we'll talk with you again soon.